You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, let them know who you are, what you do? Good morning, Theo. Uh, My name is Dr. Tony Lloyd. I'm the Chief Executive of the ADHD Foundation. And Tony, what do the ADHD Foundation do? If you could give us a kind of a high level overview of of uh, you know what you do, what you're about. Um, Well, the foundation is a is a user led charity. and it's of its 30 staff, I think about 70% of them are neurodiverse. So that means that majority of staff have either ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism spectrum. Um, and most of the board of directors have a direct link, either a family member or who work uh, at a very senior level in that particular field uh, of health and education. And the foundation provides a unique lifespan service here in Merseyside, uh, supporting families across the lifespan, parents, children, adults. Um, uh, We also provide specialist services in over 200 schools across Merseyside where we're working and training parents in those schools, training parents together with teachers uh, to educate the children's workforce, both in early years, primary and secondary schools. Um, And we provide training nationally, um, and occasionally internationally, uh, mostly Europe, but occasionally other parts of the world as well, um, both for educators and for clinicians. So a diverse organisation in, in both the type of work that it does um, and the professionals who are all involved in it. But a, a remarkable team of professionals, I must say, um, incredibly skilled and expert in what they do and uh, even on the days when it's tough and the work is overwhelming I have to say that they're the thing that keeps me going really because they are probably I think the best team of people I've ever worked with in all my life so it's quite a pleasure even if it is tough at times. Yeah well I imagine uh, you know if, if you need any purpose in life during this challenging period to get up and, and to want to go to work you know the, the work that you're doing of course it's an important one so that must give you great satisfaction to know that you're doing that well thanks very much it's certainly been an interesting journey and uh, as I say it's a very young organization um, it's only been a charity for about 13 years um, but yeah I mean I think you know I, I think as well I think at the moment there's a greater understanding um, and, and awareness of what ADHD actually is and isn't across the wider public. And certainly, I think, in terms of adults, uh, because we only started diagnosing adults in the UK just over a decade ago. Um, you know, we're at a point now in the UK where nearly half of all new diagnoses are for adults, uh, not just children. So there's certainly been, uh, you know, a lot of progress made in helping people to understand what it is and also kind of, you know, challenging some of those enduring myths about what ADHD isn't. 
that's really fascinating. So I wasn't aware of some of those stats <laughs> and, and that half uh, are now adults makes complete sense because that's what I'm seeing. But to know that is actually the case is really interesting. So, Tony, there's a few things I want to talk about today. There's a petition um, that I've signed and I think it's very important that we'll talk about. There's the all parliamentary group for ADHD that we want to talk about and the Umbrella Project. But just mm-hmm. before we get into those uh, fantastic things to, that you're working on with, um, can you just tell us why you started the ADHD Foundation, what it means to you? What does neurodiversity broadly mean to you as an individual? Um, neurodiversity for me is, is I, I think, one of the most powerful things that have happened in, in recent years. And it, it, how it kind of came about, I think, obviously, there was Judy Singer, who is an Australian social worker who coined the term. Um, but in the UK, it's really gained a lot of popularity because of the, some of the amazing work that's being done by the likes of sort of Professor Amanda Kirby, Professor Sarah Rankin, uh, Dr Nancy Doyle, of course, of Genius Within. Um, but interestingly, young people um, across the neurodevelopmental spectrum, whether it was autism, ADHD, dyslexia, uh, you know, and these young people are saying, you know, wait a second, just because I have ADHD or autism or dyslexia, that doesn't mean that I'm lacking in intelligence. It doesn't mean that I lack ability. It doesn't mean that I'm not employable. It doesn't mean that I should automatically be in the bottom sets at school. Um, You know, um, please see me and not the ADHD and actually recognise that there are many very happy, healthy and successful people in industry and in public life and celebrities who have autism, dyslexia, ADHD, dyspraxia. They've always been there, probably hiding in plain sight. And we don't see them because they don't fit this stereotype um, that was kind of portrayed to us in school as we were growing up that you know certainly when it comes to ADHD this was about fidgety children or or some kind of uh, behavioral or moral weakness which of course we all know is complete nonsense Um, but as people have begun to understand this better and recognize that one in five of the human race, Theo, when you're diverse, that's one in five people have either dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, ADHD, autism. If the prevalence of neurodiverse minds is as high as 20%, then from an evolutionary perspective, there is a reason and a purpose why in the human race we have so many people who have these neurodiverse minds. Um, and I think it is, you know, uh, very much a 21st century phenomenon of recognising, you know, it was Steve Jobs, wasn't it, of Apple, who kind of coined this phrase, think differently. Um, and it's certainly something that industry, particularly in the UK, has really kind of flown with, um, particularly the tech companies, all the major growth industries, Um, Google, Microsoft, IBM, more recently, of course, then you've got the likes of Heathrow, um, Goldman Sachs, Forbes, Deloitte, um, a lot of industries, uh, including now MI6 and GCHQ, who actively recruit neurodiverse employees because they 
recognize that they have minds that do think differently and bring something very unique to any organization because any organization that is filled with people who all think the same way risks becoming moribund because nobody ever thinks differently and if nobody thinks differently then it's harder to innovate and invent and and create um and you know i think again there's a recognition that we need neurodiverse talent in all our industries. So for me, that's a very encouraging development. And, and it's also about moving away from this deficit model. Uh, you know, the language needs to change. And certainly, you know, words like disorder um, aren't necessarily something that is an appropriate way to describe many people. And that's not to say that having ADHD or autism or dyslexia isn't challenging. Of course it is. Um, but what it does say is, look, don't just see that. That's a facet of the human being. It doesn't define them. Um, and also look past and see beyond the stereotypes and the very limiting language that we've often used in the past and recognize that there is an almost potential intelligence, ability and employability in these individuals. Uh, and it's an important message that certainly industry is hearing. Um, I think we've got a bit of a way to go in our education system because I think that's where most of the disabling and the disadvantage begins. Um, because our teacher workforce are not trained to identify uh, neurodiverse minds. And often we see a lot of very, very talented young people become disengaged and underachieve at school because um, quite often we view them as somehow less than because they often don't thrive in our traditional educational paradigm. Absolutely. I find that fascinating. And I, I agree the deficit disorder is almost less around uh, being ADHD like me or, or maybe one of my children or family members. Actually, it's more around um, the imprint that society and the education system has left on me. Do you see what I mean? That is yes. the disorder. That's not, you know, I didn't choose to be that way. My environment forced me into making decisions um that were against the grain and then that becomes the um you know the deficit and disorder whereas you see children doing incredible things outside of that environment but when they're in that environment they are doing things that are almost a, a counterintuitive the opposite you know which is what gets them into trouble and, and, and where they become disconnected um which i think is really interesting wow that's wonderful so Tony, moving on to, to some of the really important things that you're doing at the moment, which I think are great. I saw this the other day um, and it, it's really funny because I've only just we've been chasing cams in East Cheshire to find out uh, what what's going on, basically, with uh, diagnosis of ADHD. And the waiting list is over two years right mm -hmm. now for a, a child who's because, you know, nice guidance is wait till six. Um, you've then got to convince your school. You've then got to jump over however many other hurdles. You've then got to be in a position where you're willing to challenge. You know, not everybody will. Um, mm -hmm. There's space and time to think. So all of these things considered, finally you get your school to agree to it. Your child could be seven by that point. They've got two years. They could be nine. By the time they get 
the diagnosis and, and, and you as a parent, you can understand how you can help them. They could be just about to enter high school. I mean, that is absolutely criminal. Um, so you, so your this petition really resonated with me when I saw it shared um, by the ADHD Foundation on Twitter. That's where you can go and find the link. Um, it's review and fund uh, improved diagnosis and treatment of ADHD. Do you want to tell us some more about that? Well, yeah, the, the, I mean, there's been a couple of these petitions um, over the past few years. Um, Michelle Beckett did one again a few years ago. Um, and this one was actually launched by a, a young man called George Sharp, who's um, uh, an independent radio journalist uh, who has ADHD. Um, and again, like many people who work in the media, um, you know, again, there's this recognition that sort of some of the creativity that comes with ADHD seems to find a happy home in journalism and media. And there have been many journalists who've spoken out very recently. In fact, just this year alone, there's been the likes of Adrian Childs, of course, who's a BBC sports presenter. There's been Kate Lister, who's a journalist in The Independent, uh, Kat. Brown, who's a journalist for The Telegraph, Emma Marnie, uh, who's a former journalist for The Times, um, even Tom Hanks, I think, was towards the end of last year. There's more and more people kind of, you know, being public about it. And I think George kind of really wanted to address this issue about the lack of capacity within the NHS, where waiting lists are anywhere between two and five years. And there are some areas where there's no service for adults at all. Um, and that's a real real concern, not just for adults who are, you know, really struggling with their ADHD as an adult, but it's a real concern for today's generation of young people who at 16 or 18 are going to transition from children's services into adult services, but there's no capacity within adult services for them to be able to access, um, you know, regular monitoring, medication checks or things like that for those that use it. It's been a particular problem, I think, for a lot of young people who transitioning to university, for example, um, or just starting their careers, having finished education and training. Uh, and for those that do rely on medication to help them, obviously, then it's it's a real concern because, you know, where do they go? Where do they go to get the health care that they need? Absolutely. Um, so I, I, yeah, anybody who's willing to go and sign that, please do, because it's something that's on my mind. Also, what I find fascinating, Tony, is I went uh, to my GP um, and, and basically, uh, well, long story short, I've gone through this process myself. Um, and what CAMS have said from a, a child's perspective is, and our school, is uh, that basically the, the waiting list for for autism diagnosis is is much 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 shorter yeah. um, so if your child uh it has some levels of autism they almost say well go go via that route because that might be much quicker like three to six months but the problem is is this is where neurodiversity is complex right because your child may be may her, the, there may be more emphasis on adhd right so it may be hard to show the the that there's some autism or that there's some dyslexia or but 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 that's the challenge then face. You can't get the the support you need for the child or the adult because they're neurodiverse and that's complex. But the the I guess the the, the most impacting element of that is ADHD, which has the longest waiting list. Do you see what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, ADHD really travels alone. And there's always a great deal of overlap between all of these uh, different neurodevelopmental conditions. So a lot of people don't realise that over 40% of people with ADHD also have dyslexia. Um, and there are a lot of adults out there who think, oh, yeah, I'm dyslexic, but never thought that some of the difficulties that they have actually relate to undiagnosed ADHD. Yeah, that was me. Uh, and then there are also, of course, uh, I mean, the, the statistics indicate that for those who have what we call primary ADHD, so that's the major presentation, um, is ADHD, uh, approximately a quarter of those will also have secondary autism or what we used to call Asperger's syndrome um, and we also know that dyspraxia and dyscalculia and sensory integration difficulties uh, which is a, a, a trait normally associated with autism but is also experienced by people with ADHD but one of the greatest concerns for me Theo is okay we understand that there are what we call cognitive impairments or differences, learning differences. Um, and we know that for young children through school, high levels of learner anxiety because they're trying much harder than they should be to concentrate and to learn and to remember what they've learned. They have elevated levels of stress hormones in their bloodstream. And when you have pervasive levels of stress hormones in your bloodstream throughout childhood, then once you pass puberty and your brain goes through that major re sort of growth spurt, um, then your brain can be hardwired for an environment that is more stressful because you spent so much of your childhood with elevated levels of stress hormones. So we know that for people who have undiagnosed and unmanaged ADHD, then there is a greater risk that you experience things like anxiety and depression in adult life and particularly young women who don't always present as hyperactive as a lot of people with ADHD don't. Uh, again it's another myth that that everybody with ADHD is you know this super active never sits down kind of stereotype. Um, girls are often missed and what we tend to see in girls is an increased risk of things like eating disorders, overeating, even obesity, which of course can cause, uh, you know, greater risk of things like diabetes. Um, so we need to understand how undiagnosed or managed ADHD impacts on our physical and mental health. And that's one of the reasons why we're really trying to campaign very hard for, for government and, uh, in, and in Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland to address this quite seriously, because while there are many people with ADHD who lead very happy, healthy and successful lives, it's usually those people who know what ADHD is and what it's not and understand it and have learned how to manage it successfully. And for some people that also involves medication, but for many others it doesn't. But, you know, medication is just one thing in a whole toolbox of strategies that you should use to make sure that you have the kind of healthy lifestyle that enables you to thrive and be happy and stay healthy uh, and do well at your career and your relationships because you manage your ADHD well. And I think one of the sad realities as well is quite often and certainly where children are concerned, you know, they're given this label, they're given a prescription for medication, um, 
but quite often nobody's ever actually sat and explained to them. Well, you have a mind that works differently and there are going to be some things that maybe you're going to find much more difficult. Um, but these are how you play to your strengths. And here's some strategies to help you overcome some of the difficulties that go with it. Um, for those people who have that knowledge and understanding and manage it well, then, you know, they can live quite happily with ADHD. But, you know, it's the same with diabetes. If you didn't know you had diabetes and you weren't given any information and advice about a healthy lifestyle, how to manage your diet and things like that, then we know that the consequences of that to your health are going to be quite serious. So it's important to understand that, yes, ADHD co-occurs with other neurodevelopmental conditions. Um, the key here is early identification, early diagnosis and, and support so that young people can learn how to manage it effectively. Brilliant. And on that point, then, that, that leads us nicely on to the APPG, the All Parliamentary Group for ADHD. Uh, and that Joe Platt, the, the secretary of that All Parliamentary Group, um, is receiving um, emails on, you know, where we think uh, improvements could be made or ideas, thoughts on, on improvements uh, that she can take to that group. So that's to, to contact Joe, you, I guess you can either go to the ADHD Foundation website and find it there, or joe.platt at adhdfoundation.org.uk. Um, is there anything else you want to share around specifically around that all parliamentary group and what we're looking for? Um, well, interestingly, we've had a lot of new um, MP members join the APPG. So it reboots next week. Um, it hasn't met in over a year, obviously, because of the impact of COVID. Um, and in the first uh, meeting, we're going to look obviously at what the objectives are for that group and what we want it to achieve. Um, and also particularly looking at how the impact of COVID on health services generally um, has really impacted on access to healthcare for people with ADHD. Now, the situation for people with ADHD was already quite serious in terms of how long they were having to wait. And Martin Lindsay, a BBC Freedom of Information report, um, last December before COVID started and, and the results of that were really quite alarming. So um, yeah, the All Party Parliamentary Group really is about bringing MPs together from all different parties who are going to meet with um, experts and clinicians and educators and researchers, but also it's crucial that involved in that APPG are members of the public, particularly those who are involved in support groups and parent support groups and charities um, because you know our democratic process means that if we are going to change things then the electorate and the people who vote to put our MPs in the role that they have in government uh, is, is to provide a, a conduit for and a platform for the public to say to their elected uh, representatives look this needs to change this needs to improve um, but how do we go about doing it? You know, it's not just enough, is it, to say, well, this is not good enough. It's not as simple as, oh, well, just put more funding in. It is about looking at this from a much broader kind of palette and say, well, yeah, we need to address issues around teacher training and education. We need to address issues around early years 
um, education. We need to address issues around what happens in primary care because many GP practices don't have any expertise. Um, you know, and also, you know, really does does non-complex ADHD really need to sit in psychiatry? And actually, I don't believe it does. Um, I think the only people who need to go to uh, see a psychiatrist are those who have really complex mental health problems as well as their ADHD. Um, but for the most part, there's no reason why people couldn't have greater access to support through their local GP. So there's a lot of things to discuss and, and certainly there seems to be a growing level of interest and concern amongst members of parliament and that's a very, very encouraging sign for you. Good, because, uh, yeah, that was my concern with, uh, you know, what I've been seeing. And, and it just felt like at the moment, based on those waiting times, that nobody cared, really. That That's the immediate feeling that I got. And, and that is a very, um, it's a very scary place for parents and for individuals to be. And there's, there's a particular date I think early next year where I think that group will be looking uh, at the impacts in work, workforce, workplace. Yeah. Um, those listening that have an interest there. The APPG will be discussing uh, some of those elements early next year, I believe. So, you know, watch this space. I'm, I'm going to be obviously following this very, very closely because it's quite important to me at this point in, in my life, um, especially with my children. So finally, um, I would just like to also talk about the Incredible Umbrella Project, because that's coming around again. Um, and it's I guess it, we live in a build now so um you know tell us a little bit about that and maybe how that's going to look in this new world that we now live in well I mean, a, a lot of people have asked where it came from and and um it actually originated from a group of young people about six years ago who you know formed part of our, our youth board uh and they were trying to think of a name for themselves and they came up with the alphabet kids and i asked them well why do you call yourselves the Alphabet Kids? And they said, well, we've all got all these letters after our names, like ADHD, ASD, with honours. And um, I tried to explain to them that these acronyms probably aren't a very good description of who they are, um, and that they were umbrella terms. And hence, the Umbrella Gang was born, which is now a, 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 an educational illustrated comic we've just we had volume one last year volume two comes out in a few weeks there are a number of celebrities who appear in that comic as well it's all about educating young people to understand neurodiversity um and the umbrellas um we have hundreds of schools across the country we have big public art installations we've had them obviously in Heathrow Terminal 5 in Liverpool um in BBC Media City in Salford Manchester um, we've had them in um, hospitals and offices and we're hoping in 2021 uh, that we're going to have one in, in Covent Garden in London, um, uh, again in Liverpool, possibly also Brighton. Um, we're hoping somewhere in Scotland, uh, hopefully Cardiff. Um, but what's wonderful is we've had lots of people involved in this. We've had offices of solicitors, we've had libraries and, we've, and I say lots of schools have had their own small umbrella installation where we've had young people signing those umbrellas and, you know, talking about their superpowers and, you know, what they're good at, talking about what they're talented at and what their gifts are. 
which is really about young people trying to flip that narrative about stop telling me what I can't do and, and look at the positives. And again, that's not to deny the fact that these conditions can be very difficult to live with and very challenging. You know, and people said to me, oh, do, you know, do you ascribe to this idea that ADHD is a superpower or a gift? Uh, you know, my honest answer is I don't think it's a gift. It can be incredibly challenging. But I absolutely respect the right of young people and adults to say, well, do you know what? For all its difficulties, I'm really going to focus on that part of it that really you know, is, is a real positive for me. And if you look at the research that suggests about 30% of entrepreneurs have ADHD, then you think, well, okay, there's got to be something in this. And we know there are lots of people in public life, whether it's professional sports, media, arts, um, you know, or, in, you know, in business and industry uh, who have ADHD. It is about trying to emphasise the positive without necessarily sort of denying the fact that sometimes it can be challenging. And, uh, and it just seems to be something that's captured the public imagination, Theo. You know, people look up and see these canopies of brightly coloured umbrellas. It just seems to kind of make people smile. Um, it is a celebration because it's acknowledging that, you know what, one in five of us are neurodiverse. They're surround we're surrounded by people who are neurodiverse, but we don't see them because it's an invisible thing often. Um, and this is about celebrating that and raising awareness uh, for it. And there's a there's a kite mark that, that's uh, coming out in the new year where shops, whether it's a corner shop or a department store or uh, a, a legal company or whatever it is, can have that umbrella motif that, that just says, yes, we are neurodiversity aware. And, and I think it's it's a great way to celebrate something that has, I think, often quite sadly um, suffered a lot of stigma and ignorance and a lot of people have experienced quite a lot of discrimination um, and, and I'm glad that that tide is turning and I think the Umbrella Project is a great way of, of celebrating that and I mean there's some fantastic short films on YouTube you know if you sort of google ADHD Foundation Umbrella Project um, you know, you can't help but smile. So I'm hoping that in 2021, yeah, we're going to see a lot more businesses and schools and, and public buildings participating in it. Brilliant. And are there three really easy things uh, after listening to this you can do? Go and sign the petition. You can find it via my account on Twitter or the ADHD Foundation's account. Um, the APBG, uh, you know, if you've got a view and you want to share it, please do. And then, of course, the Umbrella Project. What a what a great thing to get involved in. And any organisation, anybody listening to this can access that and, and create their own umbrella project in as small or as large a way that they want to. So that's brilliant. That's really good. Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, it's It's been a really enjoyable conversation and I'm so pleased to have you on. And if people want to contact you, Tony, um, or the ADHD Foundation, what's the best route for them? The best route is by email um, at info at adhdfoundation.org.uk. I wouldn't recommend anybody phoning at the moment because this yes. particular time it's exceptionally busy and, and the phones are ringing off the hook. But yeah, email uh, might take us a couple of days at the moment because of the sheer volume, but we're doing our best to, to make sure that we can provide as much support as we can. And we're going to completely rebuild the website over the next month so that, you know, while people are having difficulty accessing services there's going to be information that's available to them on the website which might which might help them
Brilliant. And even now, there's there's plenty of information on the website that they can go and have a look at as a first portal call. Um, and then, of course, uh, yeah, the, the, that may answer some questions for them. That's brilliant. So thank you so much, Tony. Thank you, Theo. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.